We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. Before we introduce our illustrious guests, just a quick shout out to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable. Of course, they've got tons of courses uh, on openings, middle games, end games, tactics, whatever aspect of your game that you're working on. We recently had uh, Gotham Chess himself on the pod. He probably doesn't need me to plug his Chessable course, but I'm going to nonetheless. He put a lot of work into it, and they've got tons of new stuff coming on the way. I'm excited about... Uh, Alexi Shirov's Fire on Board being uh, adapted for the Chessable format, all-time classic book. But anyway, there's a link in the show description for Perpetual Chess to some of my all-time favorite Chessable courses, complete with a quick description and rating guidelines. So please check that out if you're interested, along with what else they have that's new. And of course, they also have free courses that you can check out. Uh, but our guest... Uh, someone who I had the privilege of playing recently in Charlotte, North Carolina. But more importantly, she is a professional chess player. She's a WGM four-time St. Petersburg women's champion, a commentator, content creator, 52,000 Twitch followers last time I checked, 64,000 YouTube subs, uh, still playing all the time as I personally witnessed. Uh, she is also a globetrotter, constantly traveling, tough to keep up with a polyglot, speaks amazing English and French as well, I am told. And I am excited to welcome WGM Dina Belenkaya to Perpetual Chess. Welcome, Dina. Thank you so much, Ben. The pleasure is mine. 
Yeah, and we should say for people listening, uh, we're actually doing this live on Dina's stream. So uh, we're going to edit out the inevitable uh, stutterings and brain farts that I may have. Dina probably won't. But um, if anything sounds different or if we read a live question, that will be why. But I'm excited to try this out and excited to chat with Dina. So, Dina, I wanted to start with Reykjavik. Um, I get serious FOMO whenever Reykjavik rolls around. I had the opportunity to go once in the 2000s, but I haven't been back since. And this year, Dina, the FOMO was especially strong because you and a lot of your friends, uh, prominent streamers like Alexandra Botez, Anna Kramling, Eric Rosen, Simon Williams, I hope I'm not forgetting anyone, um, were all there and all streaming the event. And to me, that just made it so much more compelling. Now, I know you talked about it a bit in one of your YouTube channels, that it was a last minute decision to head to Reykjavik. Um, but I'd like to get a little more backstory. So you, so Alexandra Botez sends you a message and says, hey, are you going? And you say, sure, why not? And did you get in touch with the organizers then? Or did you just kind of register and show up as anyone else would? Yeah, it was funny indeed, because I was actually still in Charlotte when, when Alex messaged me and I was playing the GM Norma when, you know, which was right after the Alta, the one that where we played in for the last round. So uh, I was playing my tournament. It was super rough and I had a definitely hard time there. And besides, I... um. I, I kind of was like, you know, a bit tilted off Chaz and Alex messaged me about this tournaments in like a week from from what I from the time being. So it wasn't making much sense to me. And in general, it's kind of super like, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the organization and stuff. But then she was she was insisting and I uh, decided to give it a look. And I realized that it was quite a strong event. And I think the biggest challenge for me was to make it work like chess wise, just because I was about to finish my 14 classical games crimes in a space of one week. So it was like, I was like, if I like a week, I will have a week break and I will have to get back to the board again and play another nine rounds of classical chess where I would potentially be doing a lot of social activities like, you know, like my my Twitch streaming and I should probably if I go there, the only sense would be to make it into YouTube content. So do recaps like it definitely would mean more and more sleepless nights and, you know, work right. And like how professional would that be for me as, as a chess player, as, you know, as a competitor to actually do such how counterproductive would that be for my chess? So that was definitely the biggest uh, struggle that I mean, the biggest question that I had to solve and I am definitely very much surprised with how the tournament went in the end but we'll definitely get back to this one but when it comes to approaching the organizers to answer your question um yeah I I it took me some days to reach off and I definitely to reach out sorry and I definitely should have done it right away because by the time when I reached to to Gunnar the, the the director of the event, he was pretty surprised with how late it was, but yet he managed to find me a spot, which was very um very appreciate like I really appreciated that. And it was already after the the registration was over. So I think the deadline was like March 15. Well, a couple follow-ups. Um number one, um so 
you decide you're going to play. I got the chance to play you in Charlotte and got a little bit of sort of a behind the curtain view of how it goes when you stream when you stream your games. You know, you you have a phone uh, standing up on a tripod. You got a you got there a little bit late to our game. I don't know if that had to do with the streaming or resting or intense deep prep, um, but like how many of those details do you need to sort out once you decide you're going to play in Reykjavik? Well, I'm actually definitely lucky with my team overall when it comes to streaming because up for today, we already have everything settled up and we know how things operate. So it's it's actually very much automatic. Like I don't even notice it. And I have an amazing team of um of moderators. One of them is right now in the chat. We mentioned his name. It's Grugan. Uh you can see him right here. So yes. It's uh, it's definitely a group of people that helps me operate the things and um, yeah so they like they 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 actually run the actual the the stream I also usually what I take care of is finding the hosts for the event and once I agree the dates with the host then I I pass the 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 hand directly to my moderator who puts the hosts together who prepares the layouts who makes them get ready for zoom call and for the stream and for you know for all the layouts and all the details basically and just launch the zoom call and they're all, all set and this time in Reykjavik it was a different experience it was something that I've never tried before and something I re was really looking forward because it's kind of definitely a step up for me which was to be integrated into Bodas live streaming, live coverage of the games. It was an idea that Alex suggested to me back in January when I actually spent the entire month uh, staying and living with, with Bodas sisters after my fight, chess boxing fight with Andrea. Right. And Alex mentioned such sort of um, cooperations that we could potentially... Um, uh give a try as uh like going to the chess tournaments together and making content together like streaming and making it even more entertaining it, and it turned out to be really amazing because like alex unfortunately had a rougher tournament than me and she was playing the um like a lot of um opponents under 2000 which made her win her games fast or like in general finish her games fast yeah and I would still continue grinding. Well, in general, like you've seen us playing, like my games are super long. Yeah, I, my games are usually at minimum four hours or five hours. So, yeah, it would make me continue playing for super long. And then, especially when I got to beat title players, I mean, such as grandmasters, then they all, I, I didn't, I lost to all international masters. I beat all grandmasters. I mean, yeah. almost all grandmasters. One escape for me. I beat grandmasters in Reykjavik. So um, it would like Alex would finish her games fast, but I would still continue playing and people would enjoy watching it. You know, like I'm definitely not the um, the most regular guest on, on Boda's live, but still watching me like woman grandmaster compete with um, with grandmasters and having like Hammer, another grandmaster commentating was definitely something new for like a like new formats for them as well in a way and it was giving more variety for me it was giving more exposure and overall it was like an amazing collaboration yeah i 
So I didn't watch the Twitch streams much, but I checked out some of your game recaps and you're a natural at that format. You're pretty funny. And you did have some clips with the aforementioned Ludwig Hammer, who was, of course, impressed like the rest of us with your game against Kuyuski. And uh, circling back to what you mentioned earlier, Dina, that you had a rough time in Charlotte. So for listeners, uh, there were two tournaments there. The Alto, which is at least 21. I've shouted it out before. I like it as sort of a break from playing all these young monsters, although certainly they deserve their place in the chess world as well. So I had a good time, got to play Dina. It was a well-contested game, but she outplayed me and outcalculated me. In the end, we might talk about that more later. But Dina then stuck around and played an invitational event. And as she mentioned, things didn't go that well. So when I was thinking about asking you to interview you, I was like, well, I don't know if the timing is right, because often when you reach out to a cast after they've had a rough tournament, they don't really want to talk about it, which I uh, totally understand. But I saw that you're playing in Reykjavik as well. So and we're glad it has a happier ending as you you had those two results. But one more question on Reykjavik, or at least one more, Dina, is so I'm curious, people like yourself and uh, and Alexandra Botez and Eric, um, once you did decide to play, are you asking for conditions? Because I do feel like it really raises the profile of these tournaments. And as a chess fan, which I primarily am, like it makes me much more interested in the tournament. And obviously, the legend Ivanchuk was the top seed. Shout out to Niels Grandilos, who won the tournament in impressive fashion. But to me, like having these people that you feel like you have a stake in rooting for really adds to it. So were you worried about conditions or do you feel like the content benefits that you alluded to are conditions enough? So overall, in general, um, streamers do get conditions, obviously, and this is normal. And this is very, very nice uh, from the part of organizers, because it's definitely not the case at other events. Um when it comes to me, unfortunately, I was signing up for such a late notice that there were no more uh, spots for conditions available. But that wasn't actually a, um, even like a question on, on the spectrum for me, because like I knew it was for something way bigger and it was more for, for my, you know, for my long term career growth. So it didn't matter that much. Uh, probably because I've managed to, you know, already to build a kind of like a uh, more or less successful um, overall business, if I can call it so, as the Balinkai or Dina Balinkai, that like such decisions as to jump on this or that trip for last minute, but I know it's beneficial for content, does not require me to to like to be uh, having this side thoughts on like okay, but what if I don't get the invitation? You know, like, what do I have to get, cover my expenses on on my own? And that's definitely due to the tremendous support of my community on all the platforms that I do content for and um but but overall yes to answer your question uh definitely Reykjavik open or Reykjavik open organizers are extremely supportive when it comes to streamers and the invitations and that's that's definitely a must thing as I think of for for the future of chess yeah I agree so I hope you make it out there more I know you're traveling a bunch now let me ask you Dina because I know different people approach the game recaps differently like some of them just will live stream their thoughts after the game I know like Ben Feingold does that for example and like I said I didn't catch your streams but I watched your videos but I wasn't sure because you had some funny jokes in there I wasn't sure if they were planned or not um so are your game recaps that you're doing on a tournament like Reykjavik, like, are you, are you producing those separately or are those coming from your stream? Oh, so um, it's pretty simple. When I play, when I play in the game, 
So I'm on the live of uh, of a Twitch channel, either mine or as it was in Reykjavik, uh, Bota's live. And then there is like a host uh, commentating those, ga those games. And when I do YouTube recaps, so it's usually like later on in the evening on the next morning when I get back to my to my hotel room and then I analyze my game with with the engine like on, on chess base with stockfish. I go through the game and I like kind of like understand everything what happens when I have this clear um, summary in my head. I I set up my camera, my microphone, and I and I record the game on my laptop, like the analysis of the game on my laptop. And then when my team does the editing, they usually just sometimes they can include the clips. I mean, usually we we try to include the clips uh, from the uh, from the live commentary because it adds more dynamics and it's also very nice to watch. You know, like the complete scene of how it was in action. Okay. And I see in chat, the original Black Pepper says he's glad Ben Johnson is not in the Discord because what would I think of the messages Dina sent after the games? Uh-oh, Dina. Now, first of all, let me say, I I, yeah. I did get to catch her post-mortem. So the way it works is when, when Dina plays someone, uh, she's got to jet out after the game. So obviously she was polite. She shook my hand, but then she went upstairs to, uh, to stream her post-mortem. And uh, a friend of mine, Ed, shout out to Ed, grabbed me a few minutes later and said, hey, she's live streaming the postmortem. So obviously, having just lost to a stronger player, I was excited to see her thoughts. So I was able to catch that. And as I told Dina uh, subsequently, like I actually learned from it because I don't know if this is what she said in D Discord. I'll ask you in a second. But basically, you were philosophical about the game. I felt like I had decent chances. I had a little bit more attacking prospects than you but you were basically just like sooner or later he's gonna mess up and sure enough that was true and i was i was saying like that's instructive to me because obviously in this case you're stronger than me but when i play um when i play players lower rated than me sometimes i try to sort of if the game is not going the way i want i get the idea that i'm gonna think my way out of it and in reality you just have to play decent moves and sooner or later they'll mess up hopefully it seems like these days they don't mess up as often as they used to but anyway i found that instructive but if that was not the trash you talked in discord dina i want you to reveal what you said no obviously not usually when i when i use my discord for so first of all i need to explain that the discord is like our like the core group community people who have been there with with us from the very beginning it's by the way now the beginning of april is the official three years anniversary of me having started streaming on Twitch. I remember I signed it, my chess.com partnership contract on April 4, 2020. So it's been three years of long grinds and there are definitely a group of people who, by the way, you can see right now in our live chat on Twitch, who have been there from the very beginning and they kind of like continue this, this, you know, this exchange of like this kind of like you know e-friendship if i can call it so like uh and hanging out together in our discord and this is a group of people where i can be you know my most like natural self so definitely it comes to those moments when i finish like tough games either i miss winning chances and i make a draw like i was with the third grandmaster who i didn't uh 
take a scalp off in in Reykjavik or when I lose like painful like just war when I lose and I know that the community has been following that and I know as a fact that they know what I'm talking about and then I'm going to that discord and I send some very emotional deep and dark <laughs> messages that I would never post anywhere I hope no one makes a screenshot and even if you do I would always say that it's uh photoshop so okay. <laughs> uh, yeah I I'm safe there but um when it comes to giving my thoughts after the game on my Twitch channel, like whatever is live, I definitely try to keep it professional and no, like, you know, not being toxic. But on Discord, I can let myself uh, free and be just as toxic as I want to be. And talk trash about me. Um, yes, I can do so. And it's very bad, but I can do so. Yes. Okay. But, but I mean, I didn't... I, you see, I won against you, right, Ben? Yeah. So there was no meaning. Yeah, like, no... I didn't have any negativity inside. I didn't want to talk trash about you. I didn't have that. Yeah, you didn't have to but... kick me when I'm down. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. But when you when you speak about the um, philosophical part of me, oh, definitely the game, like the chess game is like the whole life that I live. And I have a whole bunch of emotions, definitely way too much, because sometimes they totally um, mess up with my brain and make me do worse decisions, especially when I get to, let's say, like converting your advantage or like stuff like that. Um, but it's it's a lot of learning, but it's mostly a lot of practice. And as far as of today, I've been grinding for soon to be... Uh, like what, 25, 26, or oh, 24 years of competitive chess? It, yeah, I definitely am a practical player. So when it comes to those conclusions, they they come from with with just having played so many opponents and knowing like what's the strategy? Okay, what's the strategy when you play against lower rated player? What's the strategy against when you play against high rated player? It's definitely not the same case. And like you know, just keeping up with good moves and. Like watching your opponent getting lower and lower on time is definitely like a, a a super safe strategy. And when it comes to facing lower rated opponents, you they always mess up at some point. Unless you mess up first, which would be an accident, and then it would lead to toxic Discord messages. Okay. Um, and let's bring it back to Reykjavik, Dina. Um, so as you mentioned, you're pretty busy because uh the tournament there were more two a game uh two days in a game rounds than i remembered from the time that i played um and as you mentioned all the content that you're creating creates additional demand but i think the reason someone like me feels fomo and probably a lot of the people watching slash listening is because it just seems fun so i'm curious dina you know you're seeing your friends there's chess fans there i'm sure that that want to say hi to you like um, I know uh, the Reykjavik Open in particular is famous for like a uh, pub quiz night that they do. They've got a blitz tournament. Um, so do you get to do much socializing or does all the content creation kind of uh, remove that possibility for you? It's funny you ask it and you might be surprised, but I'm not a social person at all when it comes to non nothing nothing related to work. And when, yeah, when it comes to like entertainment, I'm not a social person. And, um, I, what, it, and during the tournament, I had zero social life, like literally zero. I, I didn't have time to eat, I didn't have time to sleep. 
I didn't have enough time to record my pod, uh, my podcast, sorry, my recaps. Uh-huh. I didn't have enough time to prepare for my games, but I had the a lot of inspiration and motivation, and I was super confident, and I was like super like in the zone. So. Yeah, um, again, giving you way too many details that you asked for, but I hope this is what you're here for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and someone like Simon Williams, who was actually there, this was before he was famous. Uh, when I went, I think it was 2006, and we spent, you know, I got to know him a little bit through mutual friends, had some drinks at, at a pub with him. And I saw some, you know, he's he's no stranger to the pub, as we know. And uh, I saw some pictures of him socializing. So were you hearing about like were people texting you and saying like hey we're going here but you couldn't make it or were you just so sort of in the zone that like you know like how much socializing was going on beyond what you weren't able to participate in is what i'm asking for anyone interested in going in the future there is definitely have been so much of like lots and lots of socializing for sure i wasn't a part of that uh, because I had other priorities such as like, you know, uh, just rest after my 10 hours uh, games of chess and recording recaps. And my mind was honestly, my mind was all over YouTube. And um, I, I could develop this subject more later on because it's definitely been a turning point for, for my YouTube grind. But um, I did like catch up with uh, some chess players and such as Simon Willis himself in the hotel because we were all mostly staying in the same hotel and um, especially creators. So uh, I did catch up with Simon, but it was always like randomly just going to the dinner when he was still there. Right. And, um, and same with Alex. We did catch up a couple of times in the beginning and then things have been so tense like so insanely like um um complete that i I could see that even she was like super super busy i mean obviously uh it wasn't just my case we did have a nice night out in the in the last evening and that was probably because everything like ended and it was like you know we didn't have that pressure to record recaps or or prepare for the game so like both me alex and simon we actually did go out to the bar um and the and anna crowling was also there to the to the on the last evening we did play some blitz for fun and (laughs) we also posted some photos so it was um it was the exact the way you described it but for us it was only like it only happened once and i had zero zero time to explore iceland unfortunately um well usually you know when it comes to chess tournaments unless you plan more days in advance when you arrive and you plan more days after the tournaments it's impossible to catch up with sightseeing or whatever like i've been i must have visited every single european country and i've been to many other places beyond europe and i had done zero visiting zero sightseeing so it's kind of like I think normal when you compete on a high professional level. And now that I also do content at the same time, it just leaves way less time for 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 your priorities. Okay. And you this was your first time playing the Reykjavik Open? Yeah, it was my first time. I've never done it before. And I was actually surprised on the how did I miss such a yeah. great tournament, such a great occasion. It's uh, it's definitely a place where I would love to be back. It has an amazingly beautiful playing hall, just 
insanely beautiful right in the middle of the of the water of the of the ocean uh i think it's a bay but still and like the building is on built on the water and you can see when you play you can see the water like from i mean you like those who are listening to us must have seen already my youtube thumbnails or we'll see for sure i mean i hope you will see we'll link um, to them yeah yes so you can definitely see the water even from from those pictures yeah and for for listeners if nothing else hopefully you guys caught um dina's game against grandmaster Gyuski. i already mentioned it once she did a great recap of it so i'll link to that be sure to at least play through the moves of that um because amazing game um, and as you and you beat Grandmaster Erdos as well, which brings me to the next topic. Um, so I feel like we've we've covered Reykjavik sort of from a tourist slash content perspective, but um, coming off a disappointing tournament in Charlotte, uh, then you have this great result where you beat you beat a couple Grandmasters. So where are you in your chest? Like, how are you feeling about your game now, Dina? Well, it's a very good question. It's definitely a very vast one. Like. Uh um it would take several ideas to develop the subject for sure but um since you asked um i'm kind of uh overall i'm kind of living my um my second life my kind of like second career now since the last year 2022 when i switched to israel and it made me a part of the national team which is so much different from what it was uh before of my first um decades uh of of grinding in under the russian flag because you know it's also the question of concurrence so i had a perfect like environment from one side but from other side i was always like you know in the second league and now i stepped up to the first league because in russia i would be like something like top 30 or or so and in israel i became like directly like created top three and by active uh basically even like top two because the the girl like the other girl doesn't compete that much so um it's 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 different we have like the you know the we now have like the the team that that gives you extra pressure but also motivation because we have the coach we have the the trainings and uh when it comes to tournaments like i played like like I play a lot of them and you mentioned like me having a rough tournament and then getting to the to the another tournaments overall like the way I um approach chess is super philosophical any game is a lesson is an opportunity to learn to improve and just because it's a game it also depends on so many various things you will not always perform and when you look at my rating it's always have been you know like ups and downs like forever there's so many factors that affect the way I play. It can be like my physical state. It can be my mental state. It can be my, like the question of luck. It can be the, um, the, uh, just some, how I would phrase it. Um, like obviously my chest shape as well. And uh, like having played 14 classical games without barely any break and having performed badly in them was, also like a warming up for for what was to come next right but it's sometimes there is a lot about your um, your confidence for sure and the fact as in any sport because chess is a sport for me is that the ability of being in the zone 
So I definitely could feel that I was in the zone in Reykjavik and I was not in Charlotte. So that was that was affecting things, surely. But when I came to Charlotte, I was super rusty because I haven't played chess since January and it was like mid-March. I did do some league games still. I think I did four games and I did them super positively. So it's just like so many factors. I feel like you'd better ask like question by question then it would make more sense. Otherwise I will just lose you in, in my thought process. So I've got to ask your secret coach for, for what you need to work on. Yeah, no secret coach is not going to be revealed. This is something that's a question of a principle. Yeah. For listeners, uh, after Dina defeated me, I got to have dinner with, uh, Dina and Peter Giannatos and Grant Owen and a few other members of the uh, Charlotte Chess Club team. And we, we tried to get out of her who her secret coach is, but she wouldn't reveal it. So I don't think she's going to reveal it here either. No, 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 no. It's like, I, 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 can you give, I can give you a reason why. So I've always competed like professionally among women, mostly. Uh, and like, it's kind of like, like the amount of, let's say, coaches, like good, really good coaches on on my level is super limited and it often comes to the fact that many have the same coach and once they get aware of that they can totally understand or see or expect better the lines that you could play against them and the uh, or the style that you could approach the game or simply checking your coach like games in the database and understanding like what you're going to go for. And it's definitely not the type of the information that I would want to give to my opponents. Makes sense. But does your coach tell you, like, are there certain things that, that he or she is harping on that you need to work on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for sure. But um, I can uh, tell you as a fact that I am stealing way too much genius catch up phrases or like content ideas from my coach like you can see almost like there are so many so many super fun stuff that i even say in my recaps that come from my coach and i would so much love to give him a credit because he deserves that but i just don't want to you know to officially pronounce his name but that's all but um definitely it's one of my biggest inspirations for for my own chess grind is my coach Okay. And what sort of tips? I mean, um, so what everyone, anyone who's worked with a coach, whether it be in chess or another capacity might have like their voice ringing in their head in certain spots. So what are the little sayings that, that you find yourself repeating and not being able to credit him with? I mean, there are so many things. It's just crazily insane how, how it's, how deep it is. But if I were to spot a couple, I would say just um play logical like dina play logical like he told me before the um before the game with uh with the first grandmaster that i beat the um gayevsky um greg so greg is extremely uh tactical and sharp sometimes he can get overconfident in his lines and gets like and and uh you know push too much and that's exactly what happened when greg played King F7 and then King G6. King G6. Wow. Yeah, that, it was that like floored me. Yeah. Yeah, it was I, my my dear friend um 
My dear friend, uh, Brandon Jacobson, a grandmaster from New York, Col Columbia University. Uh, I also met him in Charlotte and, and then we hang out a lot in New York and he joined me for my streams. That was amazing. So I also have a YouTube video with him. So uh, Brandon sent me this message right after I beat uh, Greg. Uh, what drugs was your opponent <laughs> on? I want to know because yeah i want to know yeah again and then when i would beat second grandmaster brandon would send me another dm saying uh, um teach me your ways i'm playing like 1200s oh i thought it's gonna be what drug are you on because <laughs> the first time yeah. the first time so you back to my <laughs> yeah so back to my coach uh when it when i was playing the second grandmaster um my coach sent me uh like this messages with advice like uh so he's super unconfident he can take a lot of time and get into time troubles and sometimes he can go like crazy and you really need to stay logical to play logical moves if you play logical moves you're gonna be fine and that's exactly what i did and that's in both cases it worked perfectly and same one for the third grandmaster and then i just you know there was this moment with my third facing my third grandmaster where i could go for this pattern actually i recorded a recap at 5 a.m this night like 4 or 5 a.m and the video is going to be released in a couple of hours so you guys better watch that how my third grandmaster i faced in Reykjavik escaped from me and it was the same like i saw this pattern i wanted to go for it and it was super logical, just like my coach would tell me. But I got hesitated and afraid and then didn't do it. And yeah, missed the so win. But yeah. So that's something you're working on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of discipline, like in everything, but especially when it comes to me. But it's a lot of discipline over, over my brain what, that I try to master. And you know when i play my greatest games it's because i i control myself perfectly and when i fail it's because i've done just the same mistakes that i would do already before so it's always about learning how to like step up and stop repeating the same mistakes yeah i feel like everyone struggles with that like no matter your level it comes down to that and that sort of super psychological side of uh otb chess is what what peeps what keeps people coming back um so so what does where does that leave you like are are you gonna have time to study more chess or for you does most of the learning come from the competing in the game review are you are you gonna be grinding tactics you seem pretty busy dina i am busy but that's also how like i kind of want to be that's kind of like the life I've always enjoyed. I always enjoyed being busy. So I don't think that being busy or creating con content, chess content, can be any excuse of not working on your chess. And for me, working on my chess has always been kind of a challenge. 
And there would have been moments that I would be more successful than that and less successful with that. Definitely now that I am, as I told you, like experiencing a new chapter in my chess career, playing for the new flag, for the new federation, being a part of a national team, having competed in the Olympiads, I do feel more inspiration and more motivation to work on my chess. That definitely includes like constant daily tactic discipline, which I yet have to master. But again, it's like we can't be perfect and uh i do have my own chess goals as well actually i like i never did a wgm norm all my norms would have been im norms and it's been like six years or even seven so soon to be years like i finished my last im norm right now i have four out of three needed and funny thing had i made a one point out of two in the last two games of Reykjavik, then I would have uh, taken my fifth I am norm. <laughs> it's super lame to say that because, come on, girl, uh, calm down, relax. You you already have three. Like, like it's just an ego thing, you know? But it's it's a nice thing to see that I continue performing at the level of an I am. And that makes me think that I definitely have no right to quit competitive chess before I, I step, like, do that next step you know 2400 is step on the rating barrier that i absolutely want to cross and i would not forgive myself if i didn't accomplish that as a chess player makes sense yeah it's good to have that motivation and as you say getting to to play for israel and play and stuff like the the european team championship and the olympiad i'm sure is is a good motivation as well well dina i know that on your content uh in addition to your own um your own uh, chess grind uh, viewers uh, followers of yours probably ask for chess advice a lot so let's get it out of the way what is your stock chess advice when people ask you like hey how do I get better at chess Dina puzzle rush my friends do puzzle oh interesting rush. a lot of puzzle rush. one move tactic you know my uh, my biggest weakness one move tactic uh, so definitely do better than me calculate two moves in advance <laughs> i don't know I, having played you you can definitely calculate more than two moves in advance but but so do you think that that helps your classical game puzzle rush oh absolutely absolutely it does because in the game like especially the way i play chess i do not calculate like i've never been strong with tactics my brain operates in a in a in a strange way i always think about ideas concepts like but i never think concrete i never go like into concrete calculating lines and it's also where like mistakes are waiting for me because i blunder way too much and well it also depends on like what's your like what's your brain state is like how like how well did you sleep like if i hadn't had any sleep for the last three months because i've been like you know grinding non-stop then definitely i'm not in the best physical shape for my chess competition but um having those tactical patterns coming to you like automatically and seeing things without willing to see them is definitely the um, the zone I am in uh, when I come after like a one month of daily puzzle challenges and stuff like that. I think my best result in the Russian, in the Russian high league uh, was when I came after like one month of daily puzzle rush tactics. And uh, yeah, that was the year where I 
qualify for the World Cup. Uh, also, first time ever, it was uh, 2021 summer. And right before I had this Russian High League. And Russian High League is like a semifinal for Russian Championship. And you get to fight for six spots to be selected to play with such girls as Kostinuk and Goreshkina and, uh, um, and others. So, uh, and I, I could see how how insanely better I was in that tournament with one or two moves tactics. And I mean, brain and chest brain is just like, once again, it's a sport. It's, it's a muscle. It's like a, any other muscle. You don't train it, it, it degrades. You have to constantly daily train it. So you're doing puzzle rush at least a little bit every day, give or take. I'm supposed to do that. Sometimes I struggle. I think it's like, um, if I were to give you an example, it's like people who need to keep a diet because they have some weight issues and there are periods of their lives that they do good. They don't eat anything that is restricted to them. And there are days when, when they fail, it's somehow my story, but I, um, but I really, really love the 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 constant struggle with my own self like come on dina you gotta sit down and do it you have to do it okay. i love this pressure nice and but dina puzzle rush is only a couple years old of course obviously you've been a strong player for a long time now and you come from the legendary chess mecca of uh formerly leningrad more recently in your life saint petersburg of course uh spassky and uh Korchnoi and um Simonov and so many other legends are from there. More recently, Peter Svidler and the FIDE world champion Halifman. Um, and your mom was a chess teacher. So I want to hear a little bit about what your chess learning was like as a girl. Like when you were growing up, uh, you weren't doing puzzle rush. So what do you attribute um, your success to? When I say puzzle rush, it's uh, a joke form of um, pointing on the importance of doing tactics, tactical exercises. That has been like the thing I've heard for all my life since like the earliest childhood, like solve puzzles. Did you solve puzzles? Dina, did you solve puzzles? Where's your chess puzzle book? Where's your chess puzzle book? Show me. How many puzzles did you solve today? Like first my mom, then my coach who actually raised me as a chess player. He's an international master from the same club where my mom works up to today. His name is Andrei Praslov. He was also the coach of Anish Giri, just like me, myself. And basically mom was I started too, training. Right? Yes, yes. Okay, correct. we'll get back to that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, surely. So, so like I stopped training with my mom, I think when I was 10, from what she would tell me. So starting from 10 years old, I would always train with this international master. And I, to be honest with you, I don't ever remember my life, uh, in my life, playing a game of chess with my mom. Even though she was like, she's a chess coach. She, she was the one who who initiated me into the game yeah who, who and who I would travel to the my first competition since like I was 5 but uh, yeah I've always had this let's say the guru yeah uh um coach and same always would be like just it's like um yeah I don't know what to compare it's just I lived with a constant um questions like, did you solve tactics? Did you do chess exercises? That's interesting because, you know, I've interviewed, obviously, other products of, I mean, 
for them, it was the Soviet air quotes school of chess, like Yermolinsky and Mikhail Krasenko, of course, from Moscow, he's from Moscow, not St. Petersburg. But um, they, they often described, they said, the reason that there are so many monsters at chess from Russia was not because there's some curriculum, but because, you know, the, the famed like Palace of Pioneers, where people would just hang out for hours, hours a day with many other strong chess players. There's a coach there, but they said the the instruction wasn't necessarily that formal. But you're the first person, Dina, who did tell me, like, we did say do tactics because the way it's been described to me previously is there's no there was no set curriculum and it's not that you were being revealed these endgame secrets that Russians are famous for. But you're saying, like, there was sort of a regimen that people are like, I don't care what book you do, but you're going to grind some puzzles. I think I, I didn't give you enough context. It's like when I when it comes to what I was like told to do, it would be on my like on my self-work time. Okay. But obviously, uh the biggest part of my chess education would always be working with a coach in and in the group in the chess club. And when we would be there, it would constantly be about solving like about doing end game exercises studying like basically i like if i ever like watching watching games of greatest players yet playing training games then analyzing them but if i were to recall my my chess lessons in in the in the club then it would always like the the most the brightest flashbacks that i have it would definitely be playing out the studies like my coach would give me like 10 minutes on the clock i would sit there like as a key, then like think about the position and then go for for the um like um like playing out, you know, when you play out the like it's not like you do not show the solution because it's a study, because in long term, but you play it. And I remember that I would I would like to always do well. I, I love studying, like st- studying studies. Yeah, uh, I'm not studies. sure end game status like the positions just to explain it's it's the positions which are artificial created by by people and why it is always the first to make the move. Yeah, yeah, so that's and, how you can know that's a study. Yeah, and a lot of uh, title players I've interviewed grandmasters they they swear by them because it's often these what um what they would call invisible moves. You know, they, you ha- you really sort of grow your creative muscle. Um, and definitely would recommend uh, Kostya Kovutsky's uh, Endgame Studies 101 course on Chessable as a good way to uh, to get your feet wet. And then it's like a vast universe of um, of ways to study chess. Now, let me I want to get a little more sort of Russian Soviet history context from you, Dina, because as I mentioned, I, I have gotten to interview a lot of Soviet players. I find this stuff fascinating. But so you were there after the Palace of Pioneers no longer existed, although from my understanding, maybe they still existed as sort of community centers. So when where was your mom teaching when when you were a kid? So the place where I grew up as a chess player was and still is the place where my mom works up to today, like. Right now, she's definitely at work. It's only one hour more right now in, in St. Petersburg. So yeah, it's um, uh, she's at work now. So it's another chess club, but in in St. Petersburg, it's just like we have, like, I think it must be like seven or eight million city. So there are like dozens and dozens of chess clubs. And the club where my mom works, where I grew up, where Anish was also taking classes, it's like one of the biggest. It's not like the most well known as Chigorin Chess Club 
or the 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 House of Pioneers, as you say, Anishkov uh, Dvoretz, um, if this is right. like you remember. Yeah, so these two are like the historical because they are right in the city center, but we are like in like on on the north of of the city, so it's it's not a club. Um, definitely, some of the people uh watching this or hearing this podcast would love me to pronounce it so i will go with it used to be known as Dushdva, and now it got renamed to shor dva which basically stands for it used to be like your uh school of sports and now it changed to olympic school of sports and it used to be only for until 18 to your to youth, sorry, I keep mispronouncing this word. But so nowadays it's extended to whenever you have the achievements, like for instance, I do when I've been the multiple adults champion of my city. Like I'm a part of the city city national team. Yeah, because you know, we have all these greats, like like Russian national team, but also like national team, but also like like city, like on by the zones, you know. And uh um and yeah, uh so it's it's like this is the club where she works until today. This is the club where I grew up. This is the club where Anish was taking classes. And uh, it's basically like an institution because we have a bunch of different sports sections, by the way, just like in the in the place you mentioned, which it's not just chess. We have like we have ping pong. We have some some martial arts. We have some running stuff like that. And it's all, you know, like when it comes to Russia, all these institutions are subsidized by the government. So, for instance, my mom as a chess coach she's like she's a government worker she's she has this constant salary that that doesn't affect like she, she's not getting affected by whatsoever because it comes from from the government money but that being said it's a very sensitive topic nowadays um, yeah for the obvious reasons yeah of course well i want to hear a little more about little anish so <laughs> so do you remember him I mean, you guys are pretty close in age do you do you remember him before obviously he moved to japan at, uh so he was only in saint petersburg for a few years but do you remember him from the classes he wasn't in saint petersburg for a few years he was he 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 was born and raised in saint right petersburg. but in his chess years sorry like i mean in his chess years the same until he moved to uh to netherlands so his storyline is like he grew up like in the kind of the same neighborhood where i come from and when like our club is that's the reason why he went to this club and when he was like seven he went to the school to the, the first time and he got this classmate who was into chess and already going to my mom sections and he was like hey i do this chess there and i really like it you should join me and he joined and this is how he ended up like being in the group of my mom's students and then my mom right away saw how tremendous was his talent and kind of started supporting him through his way and his parents are like uh both mad i believe in the university uh like peter the great saint petersburg university the same university that i graduated from later on and like his father is from Nepal, but mom is from St. Petersburg. She's Russian. So this is where they met they met. And Anish father studied like um geology, I believe. And he just couldn't find like job in, in St. Petersburg. She would he would keep having this like short-term contracts in Japan because of the field that he was studying. Uh so I think it was something with the water, like you know, when the water I don't know the name, but it comes and goes back. So it was like Japan was 
Japan was the right country. And that's when they would have these uh, trips all over, like every time, like one year in Japan, one year back in St. Petersburg, because of the contracts that would finish. So yes, Anish, when growing up as a chess player, he would spend one year like studying chess and then spending the another year completely being off chess because in Japan there is just no chess at all. But my coach, like the same I was talking to about Andre Prasov, the I am, he would give him a lot of books and then Anish would come back having read all the books and wow. having like play one tournament and then gain 200 rating points. And that would be always the same thing. And then there was a moment which was kind of, I believe, rough for, for, for his career because at first when he was like showing so many results but yet like it was kind of like a side thing chess his parents were more insistent on him going to school and doing education as any chess parents who never been to to chess do not really understand the potential behind the chess when like even if they are told that their kid has an enormous talent so they wouldn't really support him having days off from from school playing the tournaments. And then it would be my mom who would have to secretly call Anish's grandmother and tell her, yes, you need to bring your grandson to this tournament. I will be here. I will like, you need to play there at this hour for like this date. And they 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 would bring him and he would like do greatly and that. And Anish was enjoying it. So he definitely wanted to continue this journey. And then again, it came to this point where Anish's father got another job author with the same field that he was studying the he was doing the engineering in already in the netherlands again another country that you know this this water things are are making definitely more sense so and that's where they moved and that's where the contract was like more long term for for his parents and that's what made him stay and obviously again just as me you know like having like living my second uh life as a chess player in in Israel, as a part of national team in Israel, I believe it was the same. It was the same for Anish when he entered the um, Dutch Chess Federation. Is that they constant? They immediately saw the 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 potential and the importance of such a high level player, which I feel myself in Israel right now, and I didn't have the same attitude in Russia simply because there's just too many of us. There are too many great players in Russia. And like when Anish was growing up, such players as Sanan Sugirov and Vladimir Belos would, would just be a bit higher rated, but also more having achieved more simply because they have studied, they have started studying chess earlier. So they would already be like grandmaster. They would be the part of the Russian youth national team and not Anish simply because it's just like there were so many of them, too many. Yeah. It was funny. I remember probably the last detail I gotta tell you on this one. I remember my uncle was so, so because I mean, obviously my uncle also played chess, and my cousins did. So my uncle and my cousin entered me on on the stream the other day. I mean, just just to give you a, a context, like, um, in like when you're in chess, just your basic level is two thousand. You were an amateur. You never done chess. So that's part. That's case of my family. So connecting this to to Anish, I probably must have lost you, but I'm almost there. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, my uncle told me, I remember when I must have been like 10 or so, my uncle told me tomorrow I'm creating a website and I'm calling it Anish Kiri and I'm buying this domain because Anish is going to be the world champion. And when he becomes one, I'll become rich because of having owned the right of that website. Wow. 
and uh, and Anish, of course, in addition to coming very close, and maybe you know, I know he's still working to get there uh, as world champion, but obviously done quite well for himself. He's also a Twitter legend. Um, was he funny as a little kid? Oh, totally. Oh my gosh, he was so hilarious. But also, okay, me and Anish, we had a very rough time when we were kids. Like we were kind of like growing up a lot together with all the chess build, but we would constantly be competing. I obviously was so jealous that my mom and my coach both like were so hyped about him. And like I was just like, you know, a side actress. And um I think I made this tweet when Anish won, finally won Pedestal. It's like, it was funny. It was something like, uh, finally, my mom, um, like, uh, uh, my mom is happier than the day I was born. <laughs> <laughs> this was the tweet I came up with uh, when in this year. So, uh, like, when we were growing up, we were competing a lot in some small, completely, like, uh, completely childish things like i remember we would do like and you would say okay let's compare our handwritings who has a more like uh, cleanest like handwriting and then we would write roads and it, it, i remember it was markovka which is like a carrot and i remember like i have up to today like we were maybe seven or eight and like i remember how he wrote this this carrot in russian and how much it was prettier than mine <laughs> i was so pissed off and then I remember like how much like for instance I would love I I love dogs and I would love like what I would do in the training camps in the summer training camps is that I would go steal food from the um from the kitchen from the like uh, canteen and then give it to to dogs and Anish would always criticize me for that he would always laugh at me and say like stop doing your your peasant um <laughs> like uh, peasant like things and 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 he would always be afraid of dogs so he would always look at me super like you know arrogantly for doing that and i have so many more stories of that kind of thing but yeah a lot of memories definitely that's funny yeah i think i saw an interview with him where he said he's not that into pets i'm guessing with your current schedule you don't you don't have any pets yourself actually my mom has uh quite some we used to have two dogs and one cat now she has only one dog and it's also like kind of old so might pass um out soon but uh we've always had like pets i do not have them right now in in france obviously i'm yeah you, you kind of need you know the the older generation uh to to be taking care of the of the pets even though when we got our first dog it was like i was like i was 14 and i told my mom listen i travel all the time and you're alone so i don't want you to be alone i want you to have someone like to give you a company so let's take a dog and it's gonna be my dog and i'm gonna take care of that i'm gonna like walk her out and you know like clean out for after her but obviously it was my mom's dog gotcha and i had one more question sort of on your upbringing and your chest development because dina you've described yourself as a um a late bloomer in chess, but it sounds like you had so much infrastructure around you, you know, obviously being the daughter of a chess coach and having so many um, chess compatriots to hang out with and so many legends living in St. Petersburg. So I'm curious, like, do you think that you were really a late bloomer? Or is it more what you were describing in that there were just so many strong players that you were a little under the radar? It's a very good question because it's definitely the thing that I've always had in my mind. But right now, after having um, turned into chess content creator and having started like traveling around and 
um, seeing this uh, this new chess perspectives as like the chess in France or the chess in the United States, I realized how strong I am and how how wrong that statement could have been. And it definitely must have been the context, just because there were so many of us that I would like... My only medal that I won at Russian Youth Championships was already junior under 20, and I finished third. But when you take any other European country or United States, and you see, as, as I did now in, in Israel, like I'm immediately top two. And I think it's just a matter of, of a context. And also... It's just way too relative, you know, as like uh, we heard some people say, like, it doesn't matter what's your chest level. There are always going to be people who are going to be stronger than than you. Right. So it's also relative. So the fact that I would describe myself as a late bloomer is definitely a relative thing and related to specifically the context of of having grown up as a chess player in Russia. OK, yeah, that makes sense. Well, Dina, at least from the perpetual chess perspective, um, moving towards wrapping up um, at the end, uh, we'll hit up chat to see if they have any questions. But let me ask you, Dina, what else do you have planned for this year? Do you know what your next tournament is? Any big content projects coming? I do have uh, a lot of games in the leagues, and these are extremely important to me because this is my professional chess side, and I tend to them a lot. I changed clubs this year for both my Bundesliga German team and my French team. And those are the clubs that I am really like looking forward to. Like I'm seeing it as a step up for sure. Um, so I've played all six first rounds this year for my German club. And I got five and a half out of six, I think. Yeah, my captain messaged me something like, Dina, I draw in the Bundesliga? What's wrong with you? Mm. So in April, I have three last rounds of this Bundesliga. And in May, I have Israeli League. I have French League. And then again, Israeli League in July. But the biggest tournament that is right now ahead of me is definitely the European Team Championship, which is in November. And that leads me and my team more time to prepare as now we have a new coach and we expect to have training camp in in May, our first and hopefully more to come. So this is from my competitive chess side and the content chess side. I definitely am looking forward to more tournaments together with... Um, with my dear friend Alex Botas uh, joining, you know, the content grind of a chess uh, streamer competing LTB. So there might be more open tournaments to come, which we are not like having fixed yet. And when it comes to content, definitely my biggest priority right now is going to be YouTube. And I'm super grateful to this Reykjavik experience because it gave me that important push to dive into edu more kind of educational chess content, you know, doing recaps of my games. Because uh, it's something that I didn't have enough courage to do before, simply because I come from a more of a chess elitist kind of um, culture. I'm not used to the fact that I can take over the role and be the chess guru and know all the rights and wrongs and take like the responsibility for um presenting like the truth the ultimate chess truth like yeah and uh i really i really see a lot of potential on youtube right now definitely more than twitch 
for sure. And excuse me, those <laughs> who are listening to this and watching us live on Twitch, but it's just crazy how YouTube numbers blow up themselves, but just by the the grace of algorithm. And I definitely spend the least time of all on working on YouTube, and like. And it's just been the highest, like, as you mentioned in the beginning, like you can see the numbers. So that's going to be the agenda, but definitely continuing to maintain and grow our Twitch community, because like, I believe that our, the Balinkaya community is one of like, you know, the most like kind of like caring and supporting, but also super stable. And it's extremely important when you have people who, who cheer you up this way and it, as I said, helps you even play better when when people watch you compete and root for you. Yeah, for sure. And I saw iFix Fridges in chat say that your recaps are amazing. I want to echo that. I was really impressed with them as well. And Dina, one thing I, I just remembered that I wanted to ask you is when you are live streaming your OTB games, like obviously it's a bit of additional stress setting it up and stuff. And I'm also curious, like how aware of you of that are you when you're playing? And do you think it leads to sort of heightened nerves for you? It's a question that everybody asks me, and uh, um, and the answer is super easy. I don't even notice the, that there is the camera right there. Sometimes I catch myself with like um, being in the moment of scratching my nose, and then oh gosh, I'm in the <laughs> right. camera. Or like I have this, you know, like I I do I do tend to move a lot, like when I sit at the chessboard. And I like, and then I just realized that people actually notice that, and they are like making fun of me. So it's kind of like cute how, how I completely forget about the camera. I think it's just because once again, it's a question of um, of of a habit. I started recording live streaming my games in last May from French League and German League. So it's I it's been one year already of doing the same thing. And also because I'm just natural with camera and I love camera. Like the reason why I enjoy so much what I do right now as a career, like chess content creation, is just because I simply love being on camera. I feel this is like my place. And definitely the fact that I there were so many people watching me live, like it was up to 25k watching wow. at Bodes live when I was beating the same brand, the, the second grandmaster. Just the the idea of that, like gives me so much more courage and motivation to play good chess. Awesome. Glad to hear it. All right. Well, Dina, I'm going to first of all say to chat, now is the time. If you guys have any questions, we'll take a quick look and uh, try to work a couple in. But while we wait for the lag and wait for the questions to filter in, Dina, do you, do you have anything you'd like to add before we uh, get moving the direction of saying goodbye on uh, on what will be the podcast? Well, listen, my trademark is trash talking. So okay, there's one yeah, let's thing do that it. we didn't discuss <laughs> that we would we, we agreed on discussing is that um did you see that beautiful uh night sacrifice and making a perpetual against me in our game? And to give more context, our my community actually knows that. That the, the, you guys remember that was the last round of the, my first tournament in US. That was the Alta tournament, round five. And I was uh um yeah. So did you did you see that that sacrifice? Yeah. 
I mean, while we while we wait for the chat to filter in, um, I will say I did, as I said, I caught your postmortem and it was funny because Dina had a funny joke because there was a line. I actually, so from my perspective, the engine turned out not to really agree. I thought I was really pushing in the game. It turned out the engine was kind of yawning the whole time. Um, but there was a position where Dina, she says she's not a great calculator, but she saw a, a pretty advanced line where I, it would lead to a repetition of of position. So she was joking, she can't give a perpetual to Mr. Perpetual to myself, which is funny, but I didn't I didn't see that line. It was one of those things where I wasn't even looking at the first move. So I didn't go down that line. I was looking at uh, other alternatives. But as I said, uh, you say you're not a, as concrete as some other players, but for me, from my like 2100 or whatever, now my feed is like in the dungeon, so even lower. But from my perspective, um, you're more concrete than me. So that tells me that that's something that I, I personally need to work on. But anyway, it was funny. Yeah, no, it was it's definitely funny thing to be on the podcast with you after having played a, an actual classical game with you. I definitely think that's sort of a unique uh, situation and especially it comes like right after the game. So it's definitely a lot of fun context here being being on this podcast with you hanging out together. Yeah, that's that's why I didn't beat you. <laughs> yeah, you know I would refuse. Oh, for sure I would refuse. Right. Haven't have you beaten me? I would refuse your invitation 100%. Of course. All right. Well, we're checking out the Twitch questions. I'm not seeing too many. Someone's verifying that you're based in France, which I, I know to be true. But so do you mind saying, like, are you based in Paris? Are you a city or a, um, a suburbs person? I'm in the suburbs so as of now, but I'm planning to move closer to the city because it's definitely going to be... Um, easier to operate and now that i have my my sponsor immortal game right in the middle of the of 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 paris with their studio uh, and the studio is going to be ready very soon so i will need to to join like their actual studio more often and yeah for for various reasons it would it's definitely going to be the next step up but um i'm not that far either uh and um definitely Paris is one of the cities where I enjoy living the most for various reasons and uh it's definitely super easy with the connections because I travel all the time and and uh you know when you're like in the core in, in the city in the center of Europe it makes things so much easier especially nowadays like when like are like had I stayed in Russia like for for any reason uh, it would be almost impossible to travel nowadays because of everything which is going on. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, and we do have a couple questions coming in. One of them was, if you had children, Dina, would you encourage them to play chess? Oh, <laughs> that's that's not even that wouldn't be even a choice. That would be a must. I mean, just as for me, uh, I never had. I know I was never asked, Dina, do you want to play chess? It was just. It was like like eating or drinking or breathing. It was the same studying chess. It was for me, it was only when I got like maybe 15 that I realized, oh, I actually play competitive chess and I actually like that. Maybe I should do something for it. Maybe I should like try to do some efforts for my own. But yeah, for my children, it's definitely gonna be uh, like a must. Okay, and one more question. This one's from from me. I forgot to ask you earlier, but I mean, obviously, we have a lot of uh, tournament players, and there's more and more people getting into tournaments. And you, you, even though it was your first time at Reykjavik, obviously, you're quite well traveled, Dina. So, 
if someone were to do one sort of chess vacation in one of these big open tournaments, um, do you have a recommendation? I don't know how many you've played aside from Reykjavik. Yeah, there was one more that could definitely compare to it, but unfortunately, it's no longer existing. It's Gibraltar. I think right. it's kind of the same vibe. Absolutely amazing location and so many more interesting sites and things to do. And Gibraltar, there is only one game per day. Yeah, so it yeah. makes also things easier. It's important. Yeah, funny. Alex told me like last day, okay, Dina, I do want to do more tournaments together with you, but please, no more double rounds. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's too much. It really it's is. It's definitely and the it, American thing, and I can understand that because people have to work in America and blah blah blah. But you know, we also need to 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 save our energy and health and not get into ten hours of playing chess per day grind. Yeah, I agree. Have you played Sunway Sitges in Spain? Thank you for the recommendation. That's, <laughs> that's definitely that's number one on my list. I haven't played, but it looks amazing. I just remember that I got a, a WhatsApp message from the organizer that I didn't respond to. Thank you, Ben. Oh, it's, sure. It's definitely yeah. it's definitely the place that I want to check out. Excellent. Well, glad to hear it, Dina. It's been a lot of fun, uh, you know, hearing your story. And again, I forgive you for defeating me. Um, so I think listeners know, but check out Dina's YouTube channel. You're the Belenkaya across platforms, right? Uh, it's now Dina Bellinkaya on on YouTube. Okay, so Dina Bellinkaya on YouTube, and to those of you watching on Twitch, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed this interview, be sure to go through my huge catalog of back interviews. You know, not everyone that I interview is Dina, but uh, but we do the best we can. Um, all right, uh, thanks, Dina. Anything else before we say uh, goodbyes and wrap up this podcast slash stream? Well, Ben, I'm looking forward for you uh, taking that revenge, if you dare. <laughs> yep, I'm, I better hit the books then. But yeah, sounds good to me. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.